0: Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call
1: 202-463-1999. Here's what D.C. is talking about. So if you listened to yesterday's episode with Van Newkirk, you already know it's the 55th anniversary of the unrest in D.C. that followed Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. And Virginia Ali, one of the founders of Ben's Chili Bowl, was there. As fires and mayhem ravaged DC streets, closing businesses, Ben's was one of the only places in town whose doors were kept open by the city. My co-host Michael Schaefer and I are here with Virginia at her restaurant to reflect on what D.C. and Ben's were like in April of 1968. Today is Wednesday, April 5th. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is CityCast D.C. Miss Virginia Ali, a DC icon, owner and founder of Ben's Chili Bowl. Thank you so much for being here. It is such an honor. Well, it's a pleasure to be here with you today.
0: So tell me when you found out that Dr. King had been assassinated. Oh, you when were in we, here.
2: someone rushes into the door like maybe six o'clock, mm-hmm. something like that, about six o'clock. Someone rushes into the door and announces that he's been shot. Well, we didn't think he was dead. We didn't get that news because we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have TVs. Someone just storms into the door and said, Dr. King's been shot. We don't believe that. No way, no way this kind, gentle, nonviolent, soft-spoken leader of ours can't be. Well, yes, it was true. So as the evening wore on and we heard that he had passed away, the, first, the tears, I mean, they were crying openly coming in here just crying and sobbing openly, and then frustration, and then anger, and then destruction. Literally tore up the neighborhood. The first brick was thrown in the people's drugstore window at 14th and U, and then it just escalated from there. Mayor Washington did put a curfew in place to try to do something about that destruction.
0: When did you know things were going south?
2: Well, by seven o'clock, we knew he was gone. 7.05, I think it was at 10 after seven or something like that, we knew then. And then people were just sobbing and crying, just crying. Few people being a little messy, screaming and yelling and cursing, but for the most part, people were just sad. We were the only place that was asked to remain open because we'd been here by that time 10 years. Well accepted by the community and bright and, safe and lights you could see all the way through the place and we were open until three o'clock in the morning every night yeah it was a scary time for us trying to accommodate them trying to stay here and don't know if something's going to come through your window molotov cocktail or what but
0: you had had a, a personal relationship with king
2: well i had an opportunity to sit with him on a few occasions while he had his chili cheeseburger and Talk, you know, you didn't have long talks with him because everybody wanted to talk to him. Mm-hmm. But yes, I did have that opportunity to sit with him a few times in the booth. One of the stories that he told me when we were having a little chat was that he met with President Kennedy to tell him about the injustices of black people. And he said, President Kennedy said, well, we, we, we want to help. We'll do all we can to help. But I don't think that's a good idea because if you bring a large group of people here to protest and there's an incident, it will set your movement back. He said, there won't be an incident. About 250,000 people without one single incident.
0: Were you down on the mall that day?
2: Oh, of course. Oh, yes, and just see a sea of people. All you could see was people. All colors, all ages, all everything and you know we're gonna get changed for sure. Got to. There are too many people supporting us, right? That's how it was. It was a beautiful, beautiful day.
0: So then you're, you're like going through the, whatever personal sorrow and rage you feel in addition to having to be the shepherd of your restaurant that is in danger at this moment.
2: Well, I didn't. Sh- you know, I had a little bit of a problem with the being, with the rage. I mean, I just felt sad. I mean, it was sad. It was a sad time, and I'm not of the personality that find that you know, getting even or getting back or getting angry helps.
0: hmm But you kept the place open. A lot of we a lot, of, a lot of folks might have boarded up at that well, point. Well,
2: first of all, we were asked to keep it open. The commander down at the precinct said. We have passes for your night after work. Because everybody was supposed to close and out of respect for Dr. King. That was the beginning, as soon as they heard the death. Out of respect for Dr. King, the business businesses were about to close. And then all these people just started coming out and being destructive and frustrated. And that uprising began, lasted three nights. And it happened all over the country. It wasn't just Washington.
0: But you had a community around here that protected the restaurant. Not maybe well, it didn't we either. had
2: a community that didn't want anything to see with their hangout spot at least. <laughs> 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 this was home to so many of them. I mean, this, was, this is why they met and greet and talk. And, you know, as I said, when they first started to play, show professional basketball on TV, the first thing I did was bought a little TV and put up there so that they wouldn't have to leave here and go see it someplace. So the same little guys could come, sit down, look up it and have their little discussions. And But they were so into the place that if someone spilled something on the floor, they, one of them would come back, get the mop and take care of it. Or if we needed some ice from the back, hey Joe, bring up some ice please. It was that kind of relationship. It was pretty special. Miss that kind of thing, you know, you do miss that, yeah. We were well situated in the community and we had these, what I call extended family in the community. The young men that had various backgrounds, various backgrounds, you know, some worked in the post office, one was a mechanic, one was in college, and just an array of, one did illegal numbers, or maybe two or three did illegal numbers. But they met here every afternoon after their work and they became an extended family to me. They were literally standing guard. (laughs) But we had had such a relationship with people over the years that somehow they didn't bother us.
0: It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat, is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree. That's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support some's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there.
1: When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out.
0: So I had read that Stokely Carmichael was one of the folks who helped you stay open late those days.
2: Stokely Carmichael was a very dear friend. He was in the SNCC office across the Mm -hmm. street. He was from Trinidad. He was charming. He was tall, handsome, and charming. And he was in here every day during the spring of 1968. Every day. Every day he was in here talking the talk and just a really... I mean, he was certainly one of those that said, we gotta close out of respect for Dr. King. Now, I asked, some people asked me, how did, how were you selected to be the one to stay open? I said, I don't know. All I know is the commander from the precinct called and said, we have passes for your night staff to work. So about four or five years ago, maybe four years ago, I ran across his phone number, the commander and asked him to come and have lunch. I said, could you tell me who made that decision? He said, I really don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know who made the decision. Stokely said he did, but I don't know.
0: (laughs) What were the months after that like?
2: The months after that? Yeah. So many people had ruined their businesses. It was a sad time. And then as they... First of all, I mean, it, the business didn't go down right away because black was beautiful. The black movies were coming out. Remember those? You're not, you not old enough to What remember. are some of
1: the movies you remember no,
2: coming I, out? No, I don't know. I got to write them down. Those black movies that came out in the 70s. The black movies. Foxy Brown. That's right.
0: Shaft. Superfly.
2: Superfly. Yeah, all those, all those. And they would be in the local theaters, either this one. Lincoln or the Republic, which was in the next block. And people were coming to see them. So that was a good thing. But then as the drugs began to move in, and then crime began to pick up and things like that, things went downhill for a while. But it became a ghetto. And people were literally afraid.
0: Benz went through some very, it was a difficult neighborhood to to make a profit in. You had a lot of businesses closed and then you had the metro coming in.
2: Businesses closed. There were boarded up buildings and torn down buildings and it was just a mess. And we waited and waited. We expect the city's going to do something. Somebody's got to do something. Now we are integrated, of course. Middle class began to move away. The whites took a flight straight out of town. And uh, we were literally... We did become a ghetto. Heron moved in first, and then crack cocaine moved in, and we became a real serious ghetto. And the Washington Post described 14th and U, murder capital of the world. The drugs were everywhere. It was really, really sad. How did you weather that th- those periods? You know, you just have faith in yourself and your business, and you. We were here. We were very supportive of our community you know this was a place where they knew they could come and be safe we never closed except thanksgiving day and christmas it didn't matter if it rained if the snow was deep whatever we were somehow found a way to be here and always had two or three employees that were willing to come along with us so we were stable in the community and if someone came for a little help someone comes in and said i don't have enough money to get my mother grandmother's high blood pressure prescription filled, or whatever they needed. We helped them. We helped with many ways, but it's what you do. And those people were there for me. Even during the time when so many heroin addicts and drivers were here, I still walked to that bank every day because we didn't have charge cards, you got cash. And you got to pick up some sm- more, smaller cash to make change. There would be eight, 10, 12 heroin addicts out there. Hi, Miss Ben. See, I was not old and they didn't call me mom. Hi, Miss Ben. I was Miss Ben. (laughs) (laughs) To some and Virginia to most. But hi, Miss Ben, yeah. I got your back, Miss Ben. You need anything? So it's really a story of community and how this. Oh, my goodness, yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. I miss that so much. Not because we don't still have a community. But because the community is young, and I'm home. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, Well, thank you very much for your time. This is awesome.
2: You're more than welcome. I hope I helped.
3: And before you go, audio producer Julia Karen is here with some quick news. DC is installing harm reduction vending machines stocked with Narcan, fentanyl testing strips, and hygiene products in four locations across the city. It's part of a harm reduction pilot program. D.C.'s fentanyl crisis is currently at its peak and hitting a different population than in most of the U.S., mainly older black men. Meanwhile, Mary center, the prominent D.C. community health provider, laid off 48 employees, about 6 percent of its total staff. With pandemic era relief ending and supply costs rising, the center said financial challenges forced them to downsize their staff. It's unclear if the layoffs will affect patients, many of whom are low income and people of color. The center says no more layoffs are planned. And lastly, D.C. Council passed a bill decriminalizing street vending without a license, establishing a trial vending zone in Columbia Heights and waiving unpaid fines related to licenses. This is something vendors have been campaigning hard for in D.C. It still needs to be passed by Mayor Bowser, but Council does have enough votes to override any potential veto. And here's today's D.C. Life Hack. As Virginia mentioned, Ben's Chili Bowl is right next to the Lincoln Theater and the two pair really well together. I can vouch for that. But street parking in the area is tough. So if you're on your way to dinner and a show, take the Metro, guys. The U Street stop on the green and yellow lines is just two blocks away.
1: That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend? And also have them subscribe to our newsletter, Hey DC. we will be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then.